Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17, called The Baptism of the King. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. We're looking at the baptism of the king. We are moving verse by verse through the gospel of Matthew. And as, it, as the Lord would have it, we are looking at the baptism of Jesus. And we just had a wonderful experience of baptism here. So we're excited about that. So let's turn over to Matthew chapter 3. The verses are 13 through 17. Let me get turn to it as well. And if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew three thirteen. It reads this way. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Verse 15. Jesus answered and said to him, permit it at this time for in this way it is, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. Behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Father, thank you for... Your living word, thank you for this monumental moment in redemption history. Thank you that you so loved the world that you gave. You sent your only son and he was pleasing in your sight. He always did those things that please you. Thank you that this idea of fulfilling all righteousness ties directly to the gospel and we need to understand it and rejoice in it. So would you help us? Would you give us insight into the text? Would you help us to see the glory of the gospel, the glory of our great king? Help us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand and respond to this uh, truth in the way you'd have us to respond. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. amen. You can have a seat. The baptism of the king. So we, as we've introduced the gospel of Matthew, we've talked about the, the bigger theme being the kingdom of God or the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus' baptism prepared the nation for Christ, or I should say John's baptism prepared the nation for Christ, but also presented Christ to the nation. Uh, One of the big ideas of baptism when someone gets baptized in a Christian church like this is the idea of identification. When one goes into the waters of baptism, they're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a picture of being in Christ. It's a picture of oneness with Christ. The water doesn't save us. I think we all know that. We could all get into a tank of water. We could be dunked a hundred times, a thousand times, and it would be insufficient to do anything in our spirit. But once something has happened within us, baptism becomes a picture. We often say it's an outward picture of an inward change or an inward reality. Baptism is a picture of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And of course, the water has uh, great symbolism to the cleansing effect of the blood of Jesus in our lives. That when we receive Christ, his perfect life, 
sacrificial death, triumphant resurrection gets applied to us. That's the idea of the identification of Christ. And so the, the opening verse reads this way. It says, then Jesus arrived. I'm reading from the New American Standard. I think many of the other translations say he came. Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. That's Matthew 3.13. The monumental moment came. Jesus arrived. And I want that to sit before us just for a second because Jesus did say that the Father sent him. He said that he laid down his life of his own initiative. No one took his life from him. He laid it down of his own accord. He had the power to lay it down and the power to take it up again. And so as Jesus arrives at the Jordan River, he has come uh, obedient to the Father. He has come in fulfillment of God's plan, God's plan of salvation. And so there is purpose behind the statement. Jesus arrived, came to John to be baptized. It indicates a sense of purpose, says one writer, and what's going to unfold, of course, around the baptism of Jesus, but he was on mission. He had come, Luke 19, 10, to seek and to save that which was lost. John 18, 37, he had come to bear witness to the truth. He had come to lay down his life for his friends, and he had come to do the will of his father. This phrase, to fulfill all righteousness, is one that we will dig out as we study this, and we'll ask some questions, and this has raised some questions in the minds of the early church, and I think anybody who studies the Bible all the way up to this time, why would Jesus need to be baptized? If John's baptism, John the Baptist's baptism was a baptism of repentance, preparing the hearts of the people for the Messiah, and if Jesus is indeed the Messiah, why would he come for water baptism? If water baptism is a sign of repentance, a sign of humility, we're going to talk about that in a second. Let's talk about the location for a moment. You can see that Jesus arrived. He came from Galilee. We all uh, have learned, I think, in the past, most of us know this, that Jesus grew up in the Galilee region, namely the place called Nazareth. And that was prophesied about him as we learned earlier. And so he lived up in the northern area of Israel. And that northern area of Israel is very green and lush. Uh, you, when you move to the, to the south of Israel, like the area of Jerusalem, it's more desert. You go up to the north near the Syrian border, and it's very green. And down from Mount Hermon, waters flow down into the land of Israel. There's a lot of streams, a lot of green places there. And the Jordan River begins really in the northern part of Israel, or into the Sea of Galilee, and then flowing out all the way down to the Dead Sea. So Jesus lived around the Sea of Galilee, and he did the multitude of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee. But when he comes to be baptized, he doesn't go into that ocean or that lake which is a freshwater body of water. And if you've ever been to Israel, it's a very pleasant place. The Sea of Galilee would be my choice for baptism because the Jordan River is dirty, unimpressive, narrow at a lot of its, place, its places. In fact, when you go to Israel, when you see the Jordan, you're kind of like, oh, <laughs> wow, that's the Jordan River? And of course, it's wider and more impressive when it's at its flood stage. But Jesus came probably 70 plus miles from his hometown of Nazareth into the area uh, where John was baptizing. And he came for a specific purpose. 
The Jordan, if you look up Jordan in your uh, lexicons or to get a definition, the name Jordan or the Jordan River means descender. We can think of it descending down the country here, but you can see, I think, the uh, application to our text. Jesus descended from heaven to earth. The Holy Spirit will descend on him uh, after his baptism. God, the Son, descended from heaven to earth. And so it is interesting that the name Jordan means descender. John uh, 3, 12 and 13, Jesus said to Nicodemus, I told, if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. So Jesus was the preexistent God the Son. God became a human. God came down. God became one of us. And it's interesting that the name Jordan means descender. In Matthew's gospel, here's what we've seen so far. We've seen Jesus' genealogy. We've seen him born, the virgin birth. We've seen the appearance of the wise men as they uh, come and seek him out. And then we see a warning given to Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, take the child into Egypt because Herod had a murderous plot. Herod was planning on destroying him. So Joseph, in a dream, got that word from God and took Jesus, the baby Jesus, or the little boy Jesus, and his mother into the land of Egypt. Jesus was identifying with the people of Israel because they had gone into the land of Egypt during a famine. When Herod had died and those who were threatening Jesus' life, Jesus made his own exodus from Egypt back into the promised land. He was a little boy at this time. And then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus does not appear again until he's an adult. Luke tells us he was about 30 years of age when he began his public ministry. So we don't have really anything else in Matthew's gospel. We go from him coming back from Egypt into the promised land and now as an adult making an appearance at the Jordan River. And one thing that we need to understand, and I've uh, laid this out to you before, is that Jesus is retracing the fallen footsteps of Israel. He goes into the land of Egypt. He goes back into the promised land. He comes to the Jordan. Remember that Israel, when they left the land of Egypt, they went through the Red Sea. And 1 Corinthians 10.2 says they were baptized into Moses. And when they got to the other side of the sea, they sang and they rejoiced, but it didn't take long until they started crying and whining. Some of us can relate to that. Some of us can relate to that with kids on a long trip or whatever it may be. On to the other side of the sea, God destroyed the entire Egyptian army, drowned them in the sea. They sang for a while, but then there was no water. Then they complained about the the food choices. And after Jesus is baptized, what does he do? He immediately is impelled by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he spends 40 days and 40 nights there facing temptation by the devil, retracing, I hope you can see it, the fallen footsteps of Israel. Because as they wandered in the desert and were tempted by Satan, what did they show? They showed that they were an obstinate people. Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father, but God's declaration of Israel is that they're a stubborn people. They're an obstinate people. They did not keep the essence of the covenant. 
The law summed up in two commands, to love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Israel fell on their face. They failed. And Jesus is the greater Israel. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Pastor Michael and the Walking Truth team and everyone at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, California are excited to invite you to our upcoming Harvest Fest that we hold on October 31st each year. In fact, this is our 12th year doing it. This year, we will have a super fun carnival theme with game booths, decorated trunks for trunks and treats, food, and fun inflatables. Harvest Fest is on October 31st from 5.30 to 8.30 at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. The address is 1009 Arsenal Way. That's 1009 Arsenal Way. For questions and directions, call 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH or visit walkintruth.com. By the way, you could listen to Walk in Truth on this station every weekday at 4 a.m. and at 10.30 p.m. We also broadcast Sunday mornings at 7 o'clock. Tell a friend and thanks. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Until they started crying and whining. Some of us can relate to that. Some of us can relate to that with kids on a long trip or whatever it may be. On to the other side of the sea, God destroyed the entire Egyptian army, drowned them in the sea. They sang for a while, but then there was no water. Then they complained about the the food choices. And after Jesus is baptized, what does he do? He immediately is impelled by the Spirit into the wilderness. And he spends 40 days And 40 nights there, facing temptation by the devil. Retracing, I hope you can see it, the fallen footsteps of Israel. Because as they wandered in the desert and were tempted by Satan, what did they show? They showed that they were an obstinate people. Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father, but God's declaration of Israel is that they're a stubborn people. They're an obstinate people. They did not keep the essence of the covenant. The law summed up in two commands, to love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Israel fell on their face. They failed. And Jesus is the greater Israel. Some of you are familiar with the servant songs, the prophecy, uh, prophecies of the coming ultimate Israel. His name is Messiah. His name is Jesus. And all of this is intentional. All of this is to fulfill a specific purpose where Jesus will succeed where Israel has failed. And so through the waters of baptism and then into the wilderness and at the waters of baptism, the father declares, this is my beloved son. And the devil will say, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son of God, this is the clashing and Jesus will be hungry because he doesn't eat and he's retracing their steps to fulfill where they have failed. This is the gospel, by the way. The gospel means that Jesus did not only just die and resurrect for you, he lived a perfect life for you. Technically speaking, and John MacArthur brought this out in one of his messages, God only needed a weekend from Jesus. Think about it. 
If Jesus died on a Friday and rose on a Sunday, that's all God needed. So why couldn't the son have just entered in as a fully grown human and died on the cross and resurrected from the dead and we'd be done with it? Why 33 years on the earth? Why born as a baby? Why did he have to go through all the human stuff? Why did he have to grow up like that and be tired and experience betrayal and human weakness? Why? Because he was identifying with us. Because he loves us. Amen. And when you go to your great high priest, he can relate to you because God is compassionate first and foremost. But second of all, Jesus is the God man. And when you pray to him, he knows what it's like to be human because he is. He's 100% God and 100% man. And our great high priest sympathizes with us. Now, he was without sin. We know his perfect life is part of the gospel. But the point is this, that he did it for us and he did it to relate to us. And you could call this, if you're taking notes, an Exodus picture. Jesus retracing the footsteps of the Exodus to bear the curse for us, to succeed where they failed. Now, there is another interesting fact, and I want you to turn to John's gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just for a moment. John chapter one, all four gospels record the baptism of Jesus and look at it from some different angles. John the Baptist, of course, was the one baptizing. He was the herald of the Messiah. And I want to bring out a little bit more about the location just for a moment. John's gospel, John chapter one. The leaders, verse 25, were asking John about himself. Why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ? You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. John 1:26. John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now in John 1.28, we have what's called a variant reading in the manuscripts. The received text, which is really what has inspired the King James and the New King James Version, say the location was Beit Tabara. It's Beth, if you're taking notes. And if you have the New King James, you already have it. It's B-E-T-H and A and then Bara, B-A-R-A. Scholars say that the, that term, Beth Bara, means something like fairy house or it can mean crossing place. And when you dig this out a little bit more with the variant manuscript reading, the, there's no Bethany that we know of outside of the house of uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, which was about five miles outside of Jerusalem and more uh, inland. So what is this place? Was there a different Bethany or is Bethabara the more accurate location? Well, interestingly enough, when you, when you look at this a little bit more, scholars have concluded that Bethabara is up on the east side of the Jordan opposite Jericho. And Jericho was the first city that the Israelites had to conquer after they crossed the Jordan into the promised land. We know the first generation died off, but Caleb and Joshua went in, etc. And it may well be, and this would be a further uh, affirmation of Jesus retracing their fallen footsteps, that Jesus was baptized where the Israelites crossed into the promised land. 
And when they crossed, we know that they did what God did and they took Jericho, but then Ai, they got (laughs) beat up and we know the rest of the story. They didn't do everything that God had called them to do and the nation, you know, uh, had their bumps and bruises. Jesus may well have been baptized where they crossed the river and that may well, well be why he went all that distance, why he came to John. And of course, this was all part of God's plan that Jesus would identify with us, that he would be baptized in the Jordan. John goes on to say, it says the next day, John 1, 29, he saw Jesus coming to him. And what did he say? Behold, famously, the Lamb of God. This is the purpose who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man who has a higher rank than I. He existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, I've seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. And so Jesus's mission as he approaches the Jordan is clear. The Lamb of God who takes away your sin and my sin. Back to Matthew, if you would. And so Jesus has come to the Jordan He's come for baptism and he came to John. And when he came, John knew who he was. John didn't know everything about him, but he knew who he was. And John, Matthew 3, 14, tried to prevent Jesus. And he said, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? You've been listening to The Baptism of the King, part one on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. Now, we have pastors on staff that would love to speak with you if you need prayer or counsel, or perhaps you have questions about Jesus and the Christian faith. Call Walk in Truth Tuesdays through Fridays during daytime hours at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. 844-48-TRUTH. Now here's Pastor Michael one more time before we go. Well, brothers and sisters, friends, you may have noticed that we did not air Matthew chapter 2. And we're hoping to do that when we get nearer to Christmas. So you can read ahead if you'd like to. Obviously, Christmas uh, texts oriented towards that. Um, beautiful, wonderful text. So our our goal is to get those to you when we get a little bit closer to Christmas. So we'll uh, keep us in prayer on that. As we move to the baptism of the king, you might be asking the question, why is it important that Jesus was baptized? And is the location significant? Uh, I've had the privilege to be in the Jordan River a couple of times baptizing and actually got baptized in the Jordan River myself. It was a wonderful time. And the significance of the Jordan River is that it may well be that Jesus was baptized at the crossing place. Uh, Don't know if we can be dogmatic on that one, but the more significant thing is that Jesus' baptism identifies him with the people. He didn't need to be baptized. He had nothing to repent of. Uh, he didn't need to receive the gospel. He is the gospel. But his baptism identified him with us. That's a good way to think about it. 
And when you get baptized, you identify yourself with him. Are you baptized yet? You might have been putting it off and maybe you thought, well, I'm not sure if I need to be baptized. You do. Your baptism is a public declaration that you're a citizen of the kingdom. And so Jesus's baptism was to fulfill all righteousness, to fulfill who he is and his identification with us. But I want to flip it around and ask you, have you been baptized? Um, Because that is usually my understanding of church history, where someone made a public declaration identifying with Jesus and the kingdom and the gospel, but also identifying with the body of Jesus or the citizens of the kingdom. This is Pastor Michael Lance. You are listening to the book of Matthew right here on Walk in Truth. And if you want to know more about our ministry, we're at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. We could use more prayer partners and giving partners, and you can find out how to give to this ministry when you go to walkintruth.com. We appreciate your prayers deeply And your support means a lot, too, because we want to get the Word of God out to as many as possible and maximize the time that we have. Redeem it for the kingdom. So go to walkintruth.com and check it out today and see how you might partner with us and give. And we'll see you right here, Lord willing, tomorrow. We appreciate our Walk in Truth financial partners. You contribute to our ministry, broadcast, and podcast. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app, you got to check it out. It's available in your app store. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, called The Baptism of the King. I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.